Rob shared out of uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles uh, 20, so I'd like you to turn there. So, um, I was sitting at my desk this morning, and the Lord, I had a different sermon prepared. And I was sitting at my desk, and the Lord impressed this passage on my heart. And so I read through it this morning. Actually, I read through it last night, and then I kind of just... You know, then I read through it again this morning, and then I thought the Lord was telling me I should, maybe I should preach on this passage, and I said no, because um, I'm doing something else. I have other plans, and so then when I walked in the service, and then Rob shared from this passage, I said yes. <laughs> it was pretty clear the Lord was telling me to do that, so... Um, so I think, therefore, the Lord wants somebody here to hear this, hear the, hear the message that's in this text. So um, <clears throat> let's uh, pray God's blessing on His Word. Father, we thank You for Your precious Spirit that You give us that leads us and guides us. We thank You for His ministry here this morning during our worship time. We thank You for uh, what You're doing um, in so many different ministries, we do thank you for Thrive and the many lives that have been saved, the many women that have come to know you as Savior. We pray your blessing on the uh, banquet coming up. Um, we just know you're going to use it in a mighty way. Lord, we do ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word. We acknowledge that we are um, we're helpless to hear <clears throat> unless your spirit illuminates us. Uh, I'm helpless to speak if you don't... Uh, minister through me, and so we just acknowledge our complete and utter need for you this morning. Um, we thank you that uh, you are not only able, but you are faithful. I thank you that you're faithful to those here that have gathered here to hear your word, and you will speak to them, Lord. And I give you thanks even now for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, we read portions of this passage. Uh, maybe I'll read a little bit more. Let's see, where do I want to begin? Um, 20 verse 1, Second Chronicles. And it happened after this <clears throat> that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are Hazazan, Tamar, which is Engida. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord our God, God of our fathers, you are God, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. 
saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now hear. Here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Isn't that good? What a prayer. What a prayer. So, I want to look at, uh, say a few words about the problem, and then the response. Uh, They were confronted with a big problem. A a very big problem. Jehoshaphat says here in verse 20, that a great multitude was coming against them. Not a small multitude, a great multitude. So the problem was very big. And from a human perspective, there was no solution. He even says in uh, verse 12, he says, We have no power against this great multitude, nor do we know what to do. In other words, we lack the resources to confront this. We don't have, our army is not strong enough. We're not able. And we don't even have a plan. We don't know what to do. It sounds like our president, doesn't it? We don't, we don't have a strategy. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that later. Anyway. So there's a, the, the, the problem is big, and from a human perspective, the problem is, is, cannot be solved. So there's really two problems. Number one is the external problem. Right? Then there is the material problem. There's, but they make one big insurmountable, from a human perspective, an insurmountable problem. From a human perspective, they were going to be defeated. You ever had big problems? Big problems. Impossible situations, right? So what do we do when we are confronted with big problems? Well, often what we do is we worry. Often we fret. Often we plan. We are going to solve the problem somehow. We come up with a plan, right? But that's not the biblical response. The response of Jehoshaphat is a beautiful illustration of really how all of us should live. And I want to point out several things about his response. The first is this. His realism. His realism. In other words, Jehoshaphat acknowledges the problem. He says, hey God, there's a real problem here. He looks at the problem, he assesses the problem, and he's realistic about the problem. Okay, He's a realist. He's not in denial. He's not downplaying the problem. He's, he's acknowledging the gravity of the situation, and there's no false optimism. And that's important because false faith doesn't change anything. And we hear a lot of Christian chatter, which sounds like faith, but it's not faith. It's a false optimism. 
It's, a, it's actually a form of denial. It's a religious form of denial. It's not, it's not assessing things as they truly are. Jehoshaphat doesn't do that. He's a realist. Our enemies are large. Our our resources are small. This is sober realism. And that's the way we need to look at our lives and look at our problems. The first step to recovery is coming out of denial. And I don't care whether it's an addiction or or it's just a habit or a sin. The first step in change is to acknowledge the need for change. And until we acknowledge the need for change, we do not change. Right? If they had not, if he had not assessed the problem properly, he would not have sought God as the solution. Because he would have said, you know, the problem's not that bad. We can fix it. We can defeat these guys. They're not that powerful. And so what happens is by minimizing the problem, We do not seek divine aid, and we try to fix things in our own power, and guess what? They don't get fixed. And we often mess things up and make things worse in our attempt to fix our own problems. So, what I like about Jehoshaphat is his realism, but his realism was not pessimism. Why? Because although he was a man of realism, he was also a man of faith. That's his second response, faith. Because, how do we know he was a man of faith? Because of where he set his eyes. He says in verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power, nor do we know what to do. That's the realism, right? But here's the faith. But our eyes are upon you. He saw the problem, but he was looking at God. He saw his enemies, but he was looking at God. He saw his own weakness, but he was looking at God. He saw his own ignorance and lack of plan, but he was looking at God. Our eyes are upon you. So realism doesn't lead to pessimism. Realism should lead to faith. Because we are not able, we will set our eyes on the one who is able. Amen? In this beautiful prayer, Jehoshaphat says, you, or thee, talking to God, at least 18 times in 17 verses. You, 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 your, your, your. Over and over and over. Not me, 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 but you. God, you have the power. You have the strength. God, this is, we are your possession. What about your promise? This is about God. The only way to scripturally deal with a problem and evaluate a situation is to see it through the lens of God. There's a huge difference between seeing a problem and then dwelling on the problem. Because you can see a problem But if you don't see it through the lens of who God is and what God has promised, then you're not seeing the problem as a Christian. This is what Jesus was trying to tell us in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says not to be anxious, not to worry, and then he talks about God clothing the field and God feeding the birds and all that God does in nature. And then he says, after saying don't worry, he says, you know, the pagans worry. 
In other words, don't think and look at your life and your situation the way an unbeliever does. Because you have a heavenly father. You need to see your situation, whatever it might be, through the lens of faith. Through the lens of faith. And faith really means taking into consideration who God is and what he has said in his word. That's what faith is. It's really that simple. Who God is and what he has said in his word. So first, he realistically evaluates the situation. Secondly, he exercises his faith. Thirdly, he prays. Matter of fact, he prays because he has faith. He goes to God in prayer because he believes that God is the solution to the problem. And it's a beautiful prayer. Uh, Much we can learn from it. I want to just point out a few things. First of all, in this prayer, he acknowledges God's sovereignty. He says in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? He's saying, God, you are the sovereign God. Now think about that. Think about the fact that no matter what is going on in your life, God is sovereign over your life. We do not live in a random universe. God is governing. God is sovereign, but the second thing he points out is that God is powerful. He says, after saying that he rules over the nations, he says, and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Not withstand us, withstand you. So he acknowledges God's power. That God has the power to defeat his enemies. That God has the power to fix the problem, if you will, that they are facing. Do you believe that God has the power to fix your problem? Whatever that might be. He does, because he is all-powerful. Thirdly, Jehoshaphat mentions God's covenant ownership. Look at, uh, over and over, he uses, uh, well, we'll just read verse 7 and 8. He says, and are you not our God? Now notice this, not just not are you God, but our God. Our God. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. So he see, he refers to God as our God. He says your people, your sanctuary, your name. He's, he's reminding God of his covenant responsibility to care for his people. Then fourthly, he refers to God's promise in verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, sword judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. You will hear and save. So when, when Jehoshaphat says to God, God, they're greater than us, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He's saying, God, our eyes are on your sovereignty. God, we, they're stronger than us, but our eyes are on your power. 
God, these these people are coming against not just us, but they're coming against your people. You you are our God. We are your people. You own us. We have a covenant. They're coming against your people, God. So when he looks at God and says, our eyes are upon you, he's looking at his, his sovereignty, his power, his ownership, and even his promise. The promise is that when they were in a, a famine, pestilence, sword, that they would cry out to God. They would call upon his name, and he promised that he would hear them. So what is, what, what is he saying? He's really saying, saying, God, you... You, God, are the solution to our problem. You are stronger than our weakness. Amen? You're wiser than our ignorance. Amen? You are richer than our poverty. Amen? You, God, have every resource that we need and more. That's a prayer of faith. A God-filled prayer. The solution to our problems is not even our faith. It is the God of our faith. So let's look lastly at, at God's response to, to his prayer. First of all, he says, do not fear. Or to put it positively, believe. In, in twice, in verse 15 and 17, he says, do not fear. He's, now he says this through the prophets. Verse 15, and he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Now, this is the prophet's answer to his prayer. It's really God's answer through the prophet, right? Here's what God says in response to that prayer. Here's God's answer. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then in verse 17, he says this, You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So so he says, do not fear, do not fear. That's putting it negatively. Positively, what does that mean? It means believe. Believe. In verse 20, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe His prophets, meaning believe that word that was just spoken. Okay, The word that the prophet had spoken the day before. That he was going to give them victory. Believe the word. Believe the prophets and you shall prosper. Do not be afraid, but believe God and believe God's word. The promise of victory in this text is a promise given to faith. And so then what do the people do? They believe. How do we know they believe? How do we know they believe? Now, the thing about reading the Bible is you have to understand is that although you know the end of the story, that while you're reading the story, the people in the story didn't know the end of the story. Right? So they get a word from the prophet, God's going to give us victory. 
Now remember, they are outnumbered. They don't have a plan. And so, but God says, in spite of that, because of who I am and because of my power, my sovereignty, my covenant commitment to you, I am going to give you victory. So they had to rely on that word, although that word was contrary to what they were seeing. That's why it required faith. So how do we know they were truly believing God? What was the evidence of their faith? The evidence of their faith was worship. It was worship. Notice verse 21. After being exhorted to believe and not to fear, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise Jehovah for his mercy endures forever. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking into a battle, now this is a real, here it's this is a real battle. Okay. It's a real battle. By the way, you see the news about all the stuff in the Middle East and people getting their heads cut off and massacred. That's the kind of stuff you read about in the Bible. That's the way, that's the way they used to fight. You didn't, you didn't spare your enemies and then rebuild their cities. You decimated the enemy. So they're walking toward possible decimation. Do you understand? That's, that's, and they know going into this that they're outnumbered. So to, so to put the singers in front, not the men of valor, not, not, not the best archers, they put the singers in the front. The least qualified to do the battle. You understand what I'm saying? This is like we go to war in the Middle East and they call me up and say, since you're a preacher, we want you to go in the front of the line and lead us in the battle. I don't know how to use the weapons, right? Would to God they would do that, though. Their faith was evidenced by the fact that they began to praise God. Are you listening? Everybody in the back row listening? They praised God for the victory before they received it. They were praising God for the promise He gave. And because they believed that promise, the the victory, as far as they were concerned, the victory was already done. That's how we know they responded in faith. They worshipped God. Worship is an act of faith. Amen? We worship God not only for what He has done, and we have so much to worship God for. If we would meditate on the Word, if we would meditate on, on what God has done for us in, uh, in Jesus Christ, we would be filled with so much gratitude when we come to church to worship, we wouldn't need to be exhorted to worship. We'd say, hurry up, let's start. Let's do this. I'm so, my heart is overflowing with a good thing. David said, because he was meditating on the king. We have so much to be grateful for in spite of our situation, just in Jesus. But we worship not only for what he has done, we worship God in faith, believing what he's going to do. What he's going to do. So we worship God for who he is, But we worship God also for what He will do. And that's exactly what they were doing here. 
when you when you come to worship God, you probably are facing some kind of challenge because that's the nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. There are challenges, there are hardships, there are heartbreaks even. But in all of those situations, we are called to turn our eyes on God. To look to God in everything. Because whatever your situation is, God has the solution. No matter how big your problem is, God is bigger. Amen? No matter how great your problem is, God is greater. Listen, if you are a child of God, you are called to worship God simply for who He is. Not because things are going well. And this is what we tend to do when things are going good. You know, the other day, uh, I was having a kind of a great day, and I was thinking how much God loved me. And then it dawned on me, you're thinking wrong. You're thinking God loves you because you're having a good day. Now, what if I was having a terrible day? Does God love me any less? Not if I understand my Bible. So I really wasn't believing in God's love. I was believing in my situation. See? So when things are hard, I understand there's times that things can be very hard and you can be in a dark place and you can be doubting God, God's love for you and His care and not understanding the, his, the ways of His providence in your life and you can be confused by these things. All the more reason why we have to turn our eyes away from our situation onto God. So when we worship God for who He is, not for how we're doing. Do you understand the difference? Now, have you seen the, the, the YouTube video that's been floating around about Joel Osteen's wife? Now, I usually don't name people in the pulpit, but I just have to say. Uh, we'll probably show it for you sometime soon. But she says, in front of thousands of people worshiping, we don't worship God for him, we worship God for us. And I'll show you the clip sometime soon. This is what people have been saying about that movement for years, that it's fundamentally self-centered. Well, at least now they're coming out and admitting it. Now, I don't have a problem with, uh, with a guy who's a motivational speaker. Okay, The problem is calling motivational speaking Christianity. That's the problem. I mean, if he wants to be a motivational speaker, God bless him. Go, go motivate people. That's awesome. But don't turn around and call that Christianity because that's not Christianity. It's a different thing. We worship God because of who God is. And you might be in the depth of despair from a human point of view. But let me tell you something. Your situation doesn't change the nature and character of God. If God is good, then God is good. If God is is sovereign and sitting on a throne somewhere in this universe, then He is governing regardless of what's going on in your life. And your situation doesn't alter the, 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 the center of the universe one bit. It only alters your perspective. When we gather to worship, or really when you worship, and you should be worshiping alone with the Lord, you are to meditate on who He is. You are to turn your eyes off of yourself 
off of your situation and onto God and you are to praise God because He is sovereign. You are to praise Him because He's powerful. We should praise Him because He is faithful. We should praise Him because He truly has the solution for every problem that we have. And I want to say one more thing about faith and it's this. You know, when when uh, the... Uh, the Hebrew children are going to be thrown into the fire. You know what they said? They said, King, God is able to deliver us. Go ahead. You can throw us in the fire. God can deliver us. But then they said this. But if not, we're going to obey God anyway. Worship is not a bargain. Is anybody hearing me? Yes. Okay, God, I'm going to worship a whole lot today. That way I'll get what I want. It's not a bargain. It's an affirmation of what's really true. And if God chooses, if God had chosen to let them burn in the fire, they were going to be glad to burn in the fire. Now that's faith. That's why when we read in Hebrews 11, this the hall of faith, it's called the hall of faith, right? The hall of fame of faith. All these great men and women of faith who did wonderful things by faith. It also says, but some of them were sawn asunder by faith. Some of them ended up just kind of wandering in the rocks and the mountains by faith. Faith means this, friends. I place myself in the hands of God. Let him do as he will. I will praise him. Let him do as he will. I will praise him. That's faith. No matter what our situation, no matter what our problems, we must turn our eyes upon the Lord. And we must worship Him in faith. We are not to walk in fear. Amen? We're not to walk in anxiety. We are called to walk in faith. And I believe that as we walk in faith, as we walk in worship, as we, as we demonstrate our faith by our worship, I believe God gives us the victory. That's exactly what He did in this passage. And if you're a child of God... You also need to, to worship God for what He has already done for you. Already done for you. And saving you. Giving you His Word. Giving you light. Giving you the Holy Spirit. Giving you the body of Christ. Giving you hope. Giving you so much that He has given. Each one of us as a child. We should praise Him and worship Him for what He has already done. But then we worship Him, worship him for what He will do. Amen? We worship Him knowing that He is sovereign, that He's powerful, that He's good, that He's a covenant-keeping God. And you are His possession. You are His possession. And He will keep His word to you if you will worship Him in faith. Let's stand. Lord, we thank You. We thank you that we have so many reasons to to praise you and worship you and thank you. And Lord, I pray that your word and your spirit would, would build faith in each one of us. That we would learn to not just realistically assess our situation or problems, but then to turn our eyes upon you, knowing that you, Lord, are worthy of our worship. That you are the source of our victory in all situations. Oh Lord, make us a people of faith. 
a people of worship and a people who walk in victory, not for our sakes, but for your glory. That the name of Jesus would be honored by how we live and by your testimony. May you be glorified as we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.